This is the AOS Career Podcast, part of the Bonebeat Orthopedic Podcast channel. This series features conversations on professional development and growth opportunities within the field of musculoskeletal healthcare. I'm your host, Daniel Cognetti. Welcome back to another episode of the AOS Career Podcast. I'm Dr. Dan Cognetti, an orthopedic surgery resident in San Antonio, Texas, and host of the AOS Career Podcast. We're live at the AOS annual meeting in Las Vegas, and we're really excited to welcome Dr. Tamara Huff today to discuss non-traditional practice models for the orthopedic surgeon, from locum tenens to health management organizations to ambulatory surgery centers. Dr. Huff went to medical school at the Medical College of Georgia. She then went on to residency at Oshner Health, and also went on to her MBA a couple of years after that at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. She is the founder and CEO of Vigio Orthopedics, which provides comprehensive orthopedic surgical services in rural and underserved communities. Dr. Huff, it's a pleasure to have you today. Oh, so happy to be here. So excited. You're also the social media ambassador for the AOS. Where can people find you? So you can find me on LinkedIn at Tamara Huff MD, but you can also find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Lady Bone Doc. Awesome. Let's get started. This has been a long time topic and something I think a lot of people are really interested in, but they just don't know a lot of people that have taken your route of non-traditional practice models. So can you just talk to us a little bit about your journey and how you got started in this? So initially I came straight out of residency and actually went into an employee practice model and did that for two years and saw some of the benefits, saw some of the challenges, had an opportunity to do research, but realized I wanted to do something else. At that point, I pivoted and went to another employee practice. But in that space, I was able to do be a medical director of our joint replacement program and really got more into the system side of medicine and understanding um, the administrative role, the business of it, and got very interested in that. And at the end of 2019, I realized, hey, this is something that I want to do more of. I want to understand what our admin is talking about when we're going over statements, when we're going over overhead. And that really piqued my entrepreneurial interest and decided at the end of 2019 to leave that practice and start Visio Orthopedics. So the initial plan was to go straight into private practice and then COVID came and COVID changed everything. And I looked at it and I was like, this is a perfect time to consider business school, which again had been in the back of my mind for years. And at that point, I looked at different opportunities, whether I wanted to do an executive MBA versus a daytime MBA and realized that as a practicing orthopedic surgeon, doing an executive MBA was the way to go. And the best practice model that I could do during that time was to do a locum tenens model, which has been really rewarding and allowed me to go through the whole weekend executive MBA program at Fuqua in the 18-month process and continue to work during that whole period. The locums that you bring up, that's something that I'm very familiar with being in the military because there's a fair amount of people that want to get some extra practice or some trauma call that they may not otherwise get. So tell me a little bit about how you got into the locums and then I have some questions about just the logistics of it as well. Absolutely. Going through training, oftentimes locums is looked at as a bad word as, oh, no, we don't do locums. But I really believe that's a great opportunity if you're considering pivoting practices or there's an area that you may be a bit rusty on and want to develop. It's a great model, even if you don't do it full time. So personally, for me, I was looking for an opportunity where I could continue to joint replacements, which was my principal practice at knee replacements, where I could continue to do that as I developed what my own business model was going to be. So that's how I came into it. However, I have friends that, again, decide are transitioning between practices and intentionally go into somewhere where there's a little bit more trauma heavy, that you get a little bit more experience. So it really depends on what you want. Is it additional money or uh, remuneration? Is it additional experience? Is it seeing new places? 
I think the first step, if you're considering that portion of a non-traditional model, is to really see, one, what do you want out of it? What's your motivation? And then how much time do you want to invest into it? Because sometimes it can be as simple as a couple of days versus weeks or months at a time. That's actually really interesting. I've never met anybody that would do joint replacements through locums, but if you have a longstanding agreement, maybe a little bit more time that you can develop, it's not just trauma. It can be any really specialty you want if you're willing to do clinics and things like that. Absolutely. And right now there's a tremendous physician shortage in America, especially in rural areas. They're having difficulties recruiting. There are so many places where there are not enough orthopedic surgeons. And in those places, many of the hospitals understand that, hey, we may have to search out a non-traditional physician agreement to be able to cover that need. And that's where locums comes in. So for me, my first opportunity that I did was in a smaller town, but they desperately needed someone that was consistent. And I was there for over a year. So yes, I had time to do the follow-up and to go through that entire process and the things that you would think, oh, locums would never do things like that. But we oftentimes are feeling that need of The non-traditional practitioner is someone filling that need that many people don't even know we have, which is in those rural and underserved areas. Yeah, that's great. One thing that I want to ask you about the locums is how do you actually go about finding these opportunities? I know there's a, a bunch of different organizations out there. Can you just talk about your process of identifying those or identifying opportunities? For me, initially, I just actually reached out to people that I heard (laughs) had actually done it. I spoke to friends and they gave me ideas. But if you've never done it before, of course, I would recommend starting with reaching out to other physicians. Again, I'm online and multiple platforms myself, but anyone else, there are many people online that are actually doing these non-traditional models. And I would start with actually reaching out to other physicians first to get the lay of the land. You can then pursue it through um, recruiters or different um, corporate corporate entities. There are pros and cons of that. Or you can consider going straight to hospitals that you may be interested in. Again, pros and cons of that. But one thing I find that many people, because we don't talk about it that much, don't have that much knowledge. It's like a black box of what is locums or what, what should I know? It's just this amazing way of practicing go to somebody that does it. That's where I would tell people to start at so you can determine whether or not you want to work with a company versus working on your own versus doing some direct things. There's some pros and cons to all that. I want to touch on some of the other things you do. You mentioned before that you dedicate part of your time to clinical practice, but tell me about some of the other things you're trying to do in a non-traditional practice model. About half of my business or my practice model is to be a surgeon. So to see patients, still evaluating patients longitudinally in the capacity that I'm in right now. But that other portion is where it gets fun. So I do consulting work. So I consult with orthopedic companies as well as community organizations on how to build out community-based programs for musculoskeletal care. So that's something that I got a little bit of that in my first job where I developed um, programs for knee pain in African-American women in the South. Now I'm getting a chance to do that all over the country. So that's one of the options, one of the things that I do. Um, The other side of things is looking into new models and ways we deliver care. So I also am very interested in telemedicine and advocacy and how do we increase access with those models. So those are some of the things I'm interested in. Also, too, leveraging my network from Fuqua and having the MBA, I had an opportunity to do a program with Goldman Sachs. So I'm getting a chance to see how we bring business into the field of medicine, especially in the orthopedics. 
Yeah. I think so often we just strictly focus on the clinical practice and we neglect all of this other stuff, which it's just a, a goldmine of opportunities and it's enjoyable, as you mentioned. It, it gets you away from the kind of mundane or the repetitive nature of clinical practice and adds a little bit of spice to your life, if you will. I think it's one of the best ways we can combat burnout. A lot That's such a huge issue. But as orthopedic surgeons, we're devoted and we love operating, but there's so much out there. And this is a great way to keep the interest and love of surgery there while you dabble in a couple other things. Awesome. I want to talk about a couple other ways to bring in revenue that people may think about. And there's been stuff through the AOS recently about expert witnesses, DME, things like that. Can you speak to any of those things as well? Expert witness work or medical malpractice work, I do have a little bit of experience in that. One of the things is the Academy has an excellent program on workman's comp. It's a workman's comp workshop that's normally around November of each year. There's also a component in that workshop on being an expert witness and working with the medical malpractice side of things. I have done some of those cases. I have limited experience, but that particular workshop is excellent for people that are more interested in it because it's a different skill set. So if you're looking for alternative revenue streams, it's a different skill set than most of us, especially if you're a relatively new out, I'm under 10 years out, you may not have that skill set. But that program in particular is excellent in going on like the key things that you need to discuss, making sure that you are true to the fellowship as a member of the academy and things. It, it's really spot on. So the work that I've had even though I don't do it frequently, the attorneys that I work with, the organizations I work with, they're just looking for people that understand and explain things clearly and concisely in a manner that gets across to their audience. And really, their audience are the jurors. Yeah. I think even though it's not necessarily clinical work, that sort of ability to explain things is one of the things that I find most stimulating about medicine. And I saw you had written a little bit about that as well, that being able to explain things in a simple way to patients is just so gratifying when you see that kind of flip switch that goes off. So I think that's great as well too. It, it, it obviously always translates back and forth. How about some things maybe we've talked about the benefits of a non-traditional practice model, the freedoms that it gives you, the flexibility to, to try different avenues. How about anything that maybe was not what you expected or maybe things that were a little bit of a drawback, less appealing? There are challenges to all of this. And I would say the first challenge is just explaining to your family and to your colleagues what you are doing <laughs> because everybody expects, and even to your patients, everyone expects that you're at the same hospital every day with the same routine and the same day-to-day -day continuity. So I think the biggest challenge was one, understanding what my goal was and what I wanted to do with this. But the next largest one was to making sure that I was clear to patients about that. So I think early on you brought in continuity of care and the concept of how can you do total joints in a locums model? It's all about communication and continuity of care. Early on, it's really important, especially if you're doing something that needs long-term follow-up, certain hand cases and things, making sure that you find a facility, that you find a situation where there's some form of continuity of care, where you have someone to check things out to, if you're not going to be a full-time person there, that you just make sure that you're very detailed. It makes you a much more process and detail-oriented surgeon in person because you have to make sure someone can follow you and that, heaven forbid, if anything happens, there's a course of action to go behind. 
Yeah. I mean, thinking about total joints, like if somebody doesn't get physical therapy for their total knee, you may have made them worse if they didn't get that. So uh, that's super important. And I think, yeah, like you said, communication is always such a key. If you're not communicating with the system, with a potential partner who's coming in after you or the therapist, yeah, it can be disastrous, but I think it can lead to great care. And obviously in these underserved communities where you're going, and I think others that are listening may want to go as well. This is, I think, great for them. Anything else that you think people need to be aware of or any drawbacks that you see from your model? Just again, understanding your why is a big important concept. So if you are doing locums to gain a new skill set, for instance, making sure you're going somewhere where you actually get that skill set available that you feel comfortable with, that you have the support system, because when you do a non-traditional model where you're not at that same hospital, you have to make sure they have the resources to do what you want to do and what you can do. One example is if you feel that you can do this complex revision, that's great. But that facility may not have everything you need. So just really, it's almost like the when you first go into practice, the things that you had in residency or in fellowship, they may not have at your new hospital. So that feeling and that process that you have to go through for setup you're basically doing that every time you go to a different facility, every time you're working with a different hospital, you're constantly reassessing, do they have everything I need? Do I have the support I need to do the full scope of care that I am trained to do? Yeah. A lot of us train at level one or level two hospitals, and you're now going to a level three if they don't have an ICU there. So I'm about to go into general practice on my own. And I'm just worried about I don't have a resident or someone else to help me in the operating room. So I need two scrub techs for total joints if I'm going to do them. Like th Those are big considerations. You're out on your own. So definitely things that you need to be prepared for. Yeah. So that flexibility goes both ways. So it's wonderful flexibility for you as an individual, for your family life, for just your other interests. However, you as a surgeon have to understand that there's going to be some flexibility on you when your interactions with admin and your interactions with the OR staff, with your interactions with the clinic staff, that flexibility goes both ways. Sure. So let's go to Vigio Orthopedics. You found this company, and I'm assuming it's after your MBA was completed. Actually, I did it right before the MBA. Really? <laughs> yeah, we started it right before the MBA. We may have to ask you if there was anything different you would have done if it had been afterwards. But tell me about the idea behind it and how you've delivered on that mission that you started with. So the biggest thing I've seen, even though I trained in a relatively large city, New Orleans, we constantly went to smaller areas. So we were constantly in Homa in the bayou after and then going on to practice in Waycross, Georgia, which is this tiny town in southeast Georgia. And just everywhere that I've practiced at, no matter what part of the country in, there's a need for care. But you start seeing that a lot of that need comes from the fact that they have access issues that people have difficulties traveling 50 or 60 miles where there's no public transportation, getting back and forth to appointments. What I just continuously saw over and over again is no matter how great my care and how evidence-based and how efficient I tried to make my care, my patients' outcomes were constantly being limited by things out of my control, by the social determinants of health, their inability to get for us to take their insurance, for them, even if they, we did take their insurance, for them to have the medications covered, for them to have transportation, for them not to be able to afford when they couldn't afford PT, when they didn't have home health, when there was no one to take them home and they end up trying to find somewhere aftercare. So all those challenges I saw 
throughout training and through my first four years of practice, I just realized that there had to be a better way, whether it's inside of our own systems or something different. So that is really what spurred me to leave the traditional model because I saw myself out there building up this great joints practice, but again, everything was limited by the issues of the patients themselves. So how do I make those better? And a big part of that too is education. How do I, or how do we educate our patients better? So all of those things were what were germinating in my mind when I said, okay, let's do something different. Let's go out and do Visio orthopedics. So with Visio, the mission statement again is just increasing access to care, but we really look at it in three different ways. So one is just having surgeons there. So that's the part with the locums. The second part is educating our population and educating our community members so we really understand the support system. So that's the side that a little of that got sidetracked because of the pandemic, but the business school access really helped me understand how to scale that. Initially, that might've just been me going to the senior center and discussing what rheumatoid arthritis is in that in something so limited as that. But with the knowledge that I gained from being around some of my colleagues that weren't in medicine, I learned, okay, maybe we can scale and partner with different corporations that have that same goal. So whether that is a orthopedic implant company or is that pharma or is that AARP or one of our insurance companies that actually have a vested interest in the health of their patients population and their communities. And then that last part, that we look at is developing the next generation of orthopedic surgeons, reaching out to residents, reaching out to people that are early in their career and saying, how can we be more expansive in our thoughts of what orthopedics looks like? How do we increase that access by being open to practicing in different models, being open to going places that maybe are not the traditional East Coast or West Coast hubs, things like that. The kind of three prongs of the mission, let's keep at it. And uh, obviously with the you're doing something right and hopefully we can turn things around for underserved populations, rural populations. One thing I wanted to talk about was there's been a lot of discussion about the limited access in these underserved areas, these rural areas, but yet there's a ban on physician-owned hospitals or creating new physician-owned hospitals in some of these areas. I know that one of the AOS podcast, the Advocacy podcast, the episode seven of it, talked a little bit about physician-owned hospitals and potentially removing that ban. And Senator Michael Burgess was on for that. But can you talk a little bit about that, about the number of hospitals even in these areas and trying to get surgeons or other folks to either create hospitals there or just go there? I think this is a really important topic. It's something no one knows a community better and how to build efficiency and how to build resources in a community than the surgeons in that community. And the opportunity for us as orthopedic surgeons or us as physicians to develop programs and to develop hospitals, really, we have a vested interest in having the most efficient, safest, most evidence-based care possible. And consistently, physician-owned hospitals have some of the best metrics than any other facility. So it's exciting to me that this legislation is coming back out. I think that this is an opportunity for us to really lean into it and to advocate for it, to reach out to our own legislators to say, this is something that we need and we want. And also to what argue more importantly is to explain to our patients what it is. Because many times we don't do as great of a job as we could being public relations managers for ourselves as surgeons. Sometimes we're looked at as the wolves <laughs> amongst sheep. 
And it's so much more than that. Our patients trust us. They believe that we understand how to deliver the best care possible. And in this particular issue, we just need to make sure that they understand that and that they're bringing it back as constituents to their policymakers and to their leadership. So I just see this as a great opportunity for us to get out there and to connect with our patients, to make sure our patients understand why this is important, because critical access hospitals are closing at alarming rates. I'm originally from Georgia, and we have had a tremendous amount of hospital closures. This could potentially change some of those dynamics with efficiencies that we as surgeons know day and night. I went up to the NOLC meeting last year, and that was my first exposure to advocacy in the pack. And I really saw the importance of the work that was being done, the different sort of advocacy missions that the AOS had, and that was one of them. And then I read back in 2010, when this is all happening, there were plans for 45 hospitals in rural areas that essentially were just kaput at that point with that new legislation. It was $2 billion in funding that would have gone to rural and underserved areas. And again, kaput because of legislation that really made no sense or you know, was not in the best interest of the patient. So I think if we can make some headway in that way, it would help your mission, our mission um, together. Absolutely. Dr. Huff, I also wanted to get your take on going into agreements with these hospitals for locums or in creating agreements in terms of reaching out with community members, things like you mentioned ARP or different organizations that you might partner with. How does that sort of work? How do you come to legal agreements or what are the challenges that you have there? Yeah, so <laughs> the legal side of things and the negotiation side. I think there's two sets, I would say, on the locum side of things, or when you're working with hospital systems, or if you decide to look over to work with a recruiting company or agency, it is very important to look at those contracts. It's the same type of review that you would do for a traditional employment agreement to look at non-competes, just really be careful and be mindful. I would strongly recommend that you have a medical, a healthcare attorney actually review those contracts just again, to make sure that things are clear and spelled out on what you are and aren't going to do. So from any time you're doing any contracting with your medical license, this is our livelihood. You want to remember that no one cares. Having your license, having your ability to practice medicine is literally your livelihood. And you want to address anything and any contract in that mindset. So that's one side of things. Now, when you're partnering with corporate entities, whether it's a nonprofit group or an actual corporation, again, being clear on what you want and what you need, being clear about ownership, about the length of those agreements are very important. On this side, I would, again, recommend, at least with your first contract or two, working with an attorney to really build out what you want, but also to talk to friends that may have done it and see if you can get copies of those agreements keep the agreements that they offer you are a great way because you're not going to get it right the first time. You just want to make sure that you are securing your own intellectual property, that you're securing remuneration for your services and things like that. So in both sides, make sure you're being careful and protecting yourself, but also being mindful of pay and keeping your intellectual property in those instances. I think that's great advice. Dr. Huff, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I think a lot of different insights, things that people are 
are definitely not familiar with. I, I know at least I, I wasn't familiar with the non-traditional practice model. It's viable. It's enjoyable. There's some challenges, obviously, and some things that we have to learn along the way. But I think it, it's it's super exciting. And, and obviously, we know how difficult it is in these rural communities, underserved communities. If there's ways that we can help these communities, I think people are going to be excited about that. And, and obviously, the, the lobbying is part of that through the AOS. If anybody wants more information on Vigio Orthopedics, you can go to www.vigioorthopedics.com and as well as the AOS website. And again, thank you, Dr. Huff. This is great. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the AOS Career Podcast, part of the Bone Beat Orthopedic Podcast channel with production and sound design by Mission Based Media. For more information on this topic and other conversations on professional development, please visit aos.org backslash the bone beat career.